It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in 1065 ELMNTFM or 957 ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show with us, we have Janet Love Morrison. She's the author of uh, a book entitled The Hawk and the Hare. But of course, that's, uh, that's not the only thing that uh, Janet ha- has done. Uh, she started editing in 2004 for Masters World Magazine in Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia. And since then, she has embraced a wide variety of texts, including manuscripts and websites and theses and more. A variety of combined with uh, teaching English uh, and grammar as a second language for 16 years, uh, different parts of the world, uh, makes her a very well-rounded editor and and publishing consultant today. And as I just found out, she uh, was just out on the land, so to speak, the other day, uh, kayaking and learning about a few uh, traditional ways of... Of living. It's one of the things that she does uh, right now. Uh, Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, Janet, um, I, I after reading the book, The Hawk and the Hare, which I thank you very much for bringing uh, forward, uh, it is based on, on a true story, uh, and it has to do specifically with your, your own father. Yes, yes. I'm Uh, As I'm sure you know, many war veterans never spoke about the war, but this was one story that we did grow up knowing, aware of, was the friendship between my father, a non-native, and uh, his native scouting partner. And uh, so my, my whole intent with the book was to celebrate the friendship between them. Yeah, that, that well, of course, that really comes through in the book, uh, of course. Now, if, if we can go back, uh, you said you grew up knowing this story. There's part of, part of what you talk about in the book is, is I guess, how you got introduced to this. Um, I think it was at some point you were, you were doing something with your dad, and, and he, was, he taught you about how to, to run heel-toe, heel-toe. Is that, is that, do I remember that correctly? Yes, that's, that's uh, correct. Uh, I was in elementary school, and I loved to run, do cross-country run. And, and I was never excelled at sports, and, but, but I was passionate about running. And uh, I was just, it was just a fall day out in the backyard. We had a big backyard, and I was just running. And, and my dad knew this was coming up, and uh, he was working in the yard, burning leaves. And uh, he just came over and talked to me and he's, you know, and he was just like, you know, uh, do you want to learn something about running? And I, I was quite surprised because, you know, my, I just, I, I didn't really think of my dad as, as a runner. I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, he's, he said, run like this. And, and he closed his eyes and he, he like, you know, like he was taken back somewhere. And I was so curious mm. about where he learned this. And, uh, you know, for, for a, a couple of seconds there, he, it's like he wasn't present. He was somewhere else. And he said mm. from, from a friend in the war and, um, and it just initiated my, my something back then. And then, and then my inquiry, I just wanted to learn more. So that sort of started that uh, that that curiosity for you, 
But you, as you said, he and other veterans, many don't share uh, much about the war. Um, and as you kind of learn a little bit about that, you know, we all know the generalities because uh, we've heard about this and, 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 and those kind of things. But what we what we see is even even when the soldiers were there, and I think uh, I think your dad or, or Reggie was talking to to someone, and they said, "When you get back, don't don't talk about the the the, the, the horrible side of war. Talk yes. talk about the, the the successes and and those kind of things." And and um, I thought that was really interesting. And of course, why would you want to dwell on that pain and and those things that you saw anyway? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, having said that, so you were you, you were you learned a little bit about this. Did that did did you then start to question your father more about the war, or how did, did did he eventually open up to you? You said you didn't learn much, but you did know this story. What did you mean by that? Uh, well, after uh, I did make a trip to my uh, to Scotland in '78 mm. with my parents and yes. my dad, we were in Edinburgh, and he he wandered off to find a pub. And my mom had explained to me that uh, it, it was a pub they used to visit as as a soldier during the war, and then later. Uh, yeah, I was probably in my early 20s. He gave me a book that uh, was written about the whole Normandy campaign. And mm -hmm. he had highlighted uh, parts where his platoon, and he, he drew a couple of um, uh, like platoon formations mm. and the different trenches. And he wrote notes in it, and he handed it to me. And at the time, I, I didn't have the maturity to really understand exactly what he was giving to me. But I, mm. I, I, after he passed, I was like, "That's that's was was his way of communicating um, his what what he had gone through." And also, his uh, colonel Colonel Whitaker had written um, books, and he did the same thing in one of them. He had highlighted and and put jotted down different notes. So that that was a real insight to just how much, um, you know, just his attention to detail helped me so much. And also he, my mother also served with the Canadian army and was in the Netherlands and, and Germany with the occupation force. So she, uh, I think because she had been over there, uh, my dad was able to share stories with her and then she had shared some of them with me. So it, it you know, it was able to, it was like putting a puzzle together. Uh, speaking of of exactly a, a puzzle, um, that that uh, what you just shared about going over to Scotland and Edinburgh, I think that was the White family. Is that that's right? Yeah, and and you you talk about uh, and of course he talks about that in in uh, you talk about it in the book, um, and um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and I I don't really want to launch into this right now because I want to come back to it. But uh, about the about the stories that you pulled together, such as that one, um, and uh, and others, in terms of being able to pull this this book together, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, people uh, ha have said and what you you say yourself about this book. So uh, it's it's in 1944, and the young Canadians of the Royal Royal Hamilton Light Infantry have had enough of drills and night marches and waiting. Private Ewan Mac uh, Morrison is 21 years old, and he's 
He joins the regiment in Sussex and meets his new platoon, including Reggie Johnson, an indigenous soldier from Ontario's Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. His new friend supplements the Army's training with some of his own, helping to prepare Ewan for uh, scouting missions against the enemy. And landing on Juneau Beach, the men confront the brutal reality of war as they advance across northern Europe with the 2nd Canadian Infantry Division. Reggie's bravery, skill, and authority soon earn him a field promotion, but not necessarily the respect of all the men in his platoon. It's based on war diaries and regimental records. The Hawk and the Hare is inspired by the real-life experience of the author's father, as we've just uh, found out, uh, Janet Love Morrison. And this is not the story of generals and officers, but of the men on the ground and the hardships they uh, in, endured. Uh, so, Jan, having said that, you know, going through the book, I, I did have I, I did have questions about, you know, because you do you do a wonderful job of including some of those things by giving us uh, pieces of that diary throughout the book, and and maps as they advance and those kind of things. Those maps that that you were referring to and what your father had done did that are those the kind of things that you uh, took these maps from, or is that what they are? Uh, yes. Well, uh, Stan Overy, who is the archivist for the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry, he sent me the war diaries, and they're mm. absolutely fascinating. They're day by day, hour by hour of mm. the regiment, you know, from from their off times when they'd be playing baseball to the weather to it, it's it was fascinating. So mm. taking the maps and the war diaries. I was, I, I, it took me five years and mm. five trips to Europe. And I, I started in the UK uh, and, and then I started, it went from Juneau beach all through France, Belgium, the Netherlands, up into uh, Northern Germany and Oldenburg where they were uh, when the war ended. So it, it took me five years and I literally followed exactly uh, the war diaries where they went and I, and then in those places, it was amazing how I met so many local uh, archivists and historians that just helped me. It was, it was like magic. I'd be, I'd be standing there at the map trying to figure things out, and and you know, people would local historians, military historians would just help me with the next step, and so that was that was a huge, huge, huge help, and and it was incredible actually to stand on Juno Beach and. Mm. Um, you know, these different battlefields. Yeah. And uh, just, just try to comprehend, uh, you know, what those young soldiers went through. And, and, and again, just the magic, I was in uh, Grusbeck in the Netherlands and it turned out that was where my dad spent Christmas 1944 in the exact location. And so things like this just kept coming up that, that uh, led me to the next step. So it, it was an amazing journey. You know, it would be one thing to uh, know the generalities of of particular events uh, during the Second World War and sort of go uh, as we all, uh, if anyone has gone to Europe, there there always is that uh, 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 recognition of, of, of that impact in Europe. And, and you see things there everywhere about that um, still to this day. Um, and... Um, whether it be honoring the dead or or some of the areas that are remaining uh, 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 as they were in the Second World War as a reminder. Um, 
but to have that information that you had with you and then do the trip uh, almost it, it, to help you see and I guess relive those events, uh, you know, it would almost be like um, what's coming to mind is like that, uh, um, that new uh, technology that we have where we can, um, um, uh, uh, it's escaped me right now, it'll come to me though, it, it, where it allows you to envision and see these things unfolding in front of you. And uh, did you sort of have that experience when you were there reliving or reseeing and having that knowledge with you? Yes, I did. I, it was, um, I mean, there were at times when I almost had to stop researching just the, 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 uh, the, just the, you know, the, the whole terror of the time I was at Westerbork concentration camp, which was mm. the only, uh, concentration camp that the Canadians liberated. And I was just standing on the ground and the curator there, he walked me around the, um, you know, there's still a watchtower and, and, and I was, and my, my dad's, uh, uh, company was sent there to guard the camp and uh, on liberation day. And, uh, you're just standing there. And, and, and then I, another trip after that, I managed to, thanks to the curator, uh, interview two survivors of the camp who were children and it was just, I mean, just, just, it, it, it just jammed my brain and it was just, it, it was very emotional. It was um, just the impact that I was feeling being there. I just couldn't comprehend, uh, you know, these, these young guys, 19, 20, 21. And it, it just, it, it was really, really difficult at times. And, and in those moments, I just had to pull it together and say, okay, it's not about me. Don't make it about me and uh just get on with the work and uh and and at times i had i was in dieppe um and uh walking on the beach there as well with the thinking you know with the whole dieppe raid and the, the failure of that and uh i was in a little restaurant and and i was just looking at this picture of my dad from black and white photo it's the only one we have of him from the war and the, the restaurant owner insisted on giving me a cognac. And, and so I started feeling hmm. really, um, I didn't wow. want to be profiting from, uh, you yeah. know, from my dad's, you know, what he went hmm. through. So it was really hard for me at times for people to want to buy me supper and they'd be like, Oh, you're the daughter of a liberator, but you know, it wasn't hmm. about me. And so I, I did struggle with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it but, was quite quite traumatic at times. But in, yeah, and I can certainly understand that and appreciate it. At the same time, though, it, it gives me the sense that those experiences that you you were able to um, go through uh, allowed you to, you know, in retrospect, starting to and, and writing this book, allowed you to to feel more perhaps or have that bring that experience out more because you had a better sense of of what they went through especially it's almost like reliving your own father's uh life while he was there to some extent you get a much deeper understanding of of the realities and and the sense of of everything that he would have gone through yeah you're absolutely right yes 
That that's wow. That that's so fascinating, and and that's what I wanted to ask you about. So I'm glad you brought it up earlier. Was that travel? I was going to say that. Um, you know, you took this journey both across Canada and Europe, and you met these people. And there was another story you told that I could not believe, and it was, it was, it might have been the White family. I, I can't remember what it was, but I th- it was a direct link that you just happened to connect with through through these maybe that happened several times to you it sounds like it did um yes the biggest one i think was uh i've been teaching on the uh, cody first nation here in saskatchewan this is my going into my fourth year yes and uh we have a family trunk at my sister's in in burnaby bc and i had been here for a year And I went back to the coast and I was going through this family trunk and I found a little black book with, it was the only thing I found from my dad's from the war. And he had listed the men from his platoon and put an X for the ones that passed and a check mark Mm. for the ones that lived. Well, on the very first page, it was Frank Joseph Cody. So, and I teach on the Cody reserve and my principal Jonas Cody, it's his uncle. (laughs) And, so it was, I was just like, oh my goodness, 75 years later, mm. the descendants mm. of two soldiers are working together. Like it's so that, that was, I mean, I, right away, I took a picture of this, of that, the handwriting and to my principal. And, and it turned out there's two, uh, Albert Cody and Frank Joseph Cody were both in the, um, in the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry and fought with my dad. So, and then his, uh, his great grandson was one of my students. <laughs> that that was just crazy. That that was, yeah. Wow. So. It, it, the whole experience that that you write about uh, here, the connection not only to your father and then the the European trip and this connection you just mentioned about the, the Cody uh, Reserve, uh, it, it's all quite magical in in so many ways. Yes, exactly. It's it's uh, you know, and and this is where I I certainly don't feel I can claim it's not for me Mm. to claim it was just so many you know it took an army to create this so many uh so many incredible people from for you know from here and overseas and uh yeah i I certainly can't claim that i wrote this book (laughs) there was Mm. like i say an entire army behind it (laughs) right uh the word i was trying to think of by the way was augmented reality oh yes 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 you know Mm -hmm. so Don't go away. We'll be right back on Element FM and Moment of Truth right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and that's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Anywhere across the country, if you uh, listen on the Radio Player Canada app, download the app, type in one of those two coordinates, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, our guest uh, here on Moment of Truth is Janet Love Morrison. She's the author of The Hawk and the Hare. Uh, and as we've mentioned, it's based on uh, true stories um, uh, coming from her own father's experience uh, during the Second World War. And it's, uh, it's almost like a daily uh, 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 run through of the experiences that he and others had uh, during the Second World War. And um, and, and Janet, it, it again, um, you know, it's interesting because as I was reading this and I thought, wow, these stories, they seem 
I, I don't know much more. It, it, there's something about them that I that I, I I just felt was more than more than the average writing. And, and from what you've just said to me, I now get that about the fact that you did follow this story. You you took these diaries. You went to Europe and you followed you followed the exact exact steps that the soldiers and your dad went through, um, and and met people along the way. And and in in doing that, I can definitely see how this would have created. Uh, your own imagination and 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 uh, would have allowed you to go deeper and experience much more as we talked about um, uh, on that. However, uh, what I did find really interesting uh, is at the end of the book is you know when you when you then sort of give us more details about the fact that in fact, yes, uh, you know the 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 first nation uh, indigenous friend he had Reggie uh, Johnson um, was a what was not the person's name you didn't know who the the person was from six nations that's exactly exactly it right and uh after my dad passed my mom uh did say how uh, i guess like like the the real reggie had mm. you know asked my dad he did he had a vision and he said you know i'm going to die tonight mm. and he said but you and you're going to make it and when you get back to canada uh, go visit my mother on the reserve. And as soon as he was my father, as soon as my father was repatriated in November, 1945, uh, it was, my mom said the first thing he did and he, he got to the reserve and, um, asked a couple of people for directions. And, and mm -hmm. I guess his mother was waiting on the porch. she had had a vision. My dad was coming to visit her and he got, he got to, uh, the porch and the first thing she said was which one of my boys were you with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh so my and my mom always said so you know the poor woman lost two sons right. and i tried i tried so hard to find the real reggie you know find out the name and it was just so uh like looking for a needle in a haystack mm. you know because mm -hmm. there was and went through the uh, the regimental um archives and and just tried every avenue and i contacted the six nations reserve and and, mm. and the uh, veterans um oh uh the the veterans woman in charge of the veterans um I see. tried okay. to help me yep. so we tried mm. every i tried every door and then when it got down to it was kind of down to the 11th hour and they're just um we were going to to print to publishing and mm. um Tidewater Press, who have been wonderful, um, they just said, "Well, we we just have to, uh, we we just have to, we ha we have to create a name." And so, mm. what what we did was, I I had chosen the name Reggie. I don't know why uh, at the start of the book, and uh, it just felt right. And then Johnson uh, is a name um, mm -hmm. on the Six Nations Reserve that mm -hmm. that is. Um, Pretty common. Yeah. Pretty common. And so yeah. that's how we, we just link the two together. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the major families, I guess you might say. Yes. On the, on yes. The and so, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it remains a mystery. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and, and so that's, that's was, was another, and it was so nice to see that you had added that in there with, with, you know, the acknowledgements and things like that in, in the book. What from this experience did you, especially having followed your father's footsteps, what did you learn about your dad from this experience? 
I would say that, um, you know, because when, when we think of our parents, we, we kind of conclude them in that pigeonhole mm. them into, into that role. And I would say I, uh, it, it's as though I, I, I saw my father's uh, humanity. Mm. And uh, because we, you know, we're, we're raised to really have consideration for another and that um, one of the highest values of being human is being there for another. And mm. I, I really learned that my dad lived that, you yeah. know, and, and I, I would say just his, uh, you know, cause it's hard. It's hard. I just couldn't phantom my father killing anyone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact, because uh, you know, he was such a man of love, and I was, it was always the more I learned about what he went through, it was such a mystery to me. How I mean, it was just a prince of a father. It was just like, how does one go through that? And I mean, because my uncles fought, and, and you know, and, and mm-hmm. became alcoholics, and as we know, sure. so many were, were traumatized. And so, sure. again, it still remains a mystery to me how he went through all that. And, and didn't fall, didn't, you know, like how, yeah. how did he have that self mastery not to, you know, to put that behind him and not allow it to uh, conclude him and determine the yeah. rest of his life. And so I just, I, I would have to say, I really uh, discovered that um, his, his, how he just didn't allow that to determine the rest of his mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the other thing, of course, is that we get a sense of, of the other soldiers in his, uh, in his regiment and, and his platoon and, and things and what they were like. We get this sense. And, you, you know, you, you wonderfully um, roll into the story, you know, the, 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 the issues that were happening both within, uh, you know, the, the soldiers themselves. Uh, the fact that not everyone, because Reggie was indigenous, uh, respected him. Uh, you know, then there was the new soldiers that came in and then there was some other soldiers that, uh, you learn about the soldiers that are, that are brought in, that are thrown into the front line with very little, uh, if any training whatsoever, or coming off of, uh, um, a kitchen patrol, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and you, you learn about those things. And then you, you learn about, of course, the, the other side of some of these soldiers that, that hate, uh, the Germans. Uh, for what they're doing and what you're hearing about the, the, them doing, and yet you and then you get the, but you get to see when some of these uh, these these German soldiers surrender, you learn about the side of what was going on back there and 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 how it was a struggle for them. Some of them not wanting to fight were were forced to fight, and if they didn't, their their families would be punished. And you learn about those kind of things and. Uh, and it was really, you know, I guess there were the four characters I, I think come to mind are, are of course, your father, uh, Ewan, that Reggie, uh, Woods, Woods comes to mind, and Cowboy. Yes. Uh, these guys uh, kind of roll out. And Woods, I think, was the guy that you really kind of see, you, you appreciate where he's coming from, uh, but you see how he struggles with things as well. And you learn a lot about that, that what everyone, it's a, it's a messy business. And and it's 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 just horrible on all fronts. Exactly, and and uh, again, I had I met uh, a fellow who's a real cowboy uh, who <laughs> helped me with the cowboy character, 
and <laughs> and help me write the dialogue and edit it. So it it was great to get that authentic authentic voice from mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and and then in, with the German side, I um, I through a through a Swedish friend, I met this gentleman Herbert, and he was one right. of those kids. He's in, uh, I believe he's 92 now, mm. 93. Mm. And he lives up by the Danish borders. So I made two trips over to to meet and interview him. And he was one of those kids thrown into the Hitler youth at 10 years old, mm. and then on the front line when he was 17. And he had never shared his story with his family. So uh, I was very fortunate to get his whole side of the story. Uh, and that's why I really wanted to weave in the, uh, I, I didn't want it to be a rah, 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 the allies one. I wanted to show the humanity mm-hmm. and, uh, and how much the Germans, you know, you know, what, what they suffered too. And so Herbert really brought that, uh, uh, you know, that, that side of the story, which I felt was very important. Yeah, and and as I say, you do a great job of bringing all of that forward, and and even taking us into the concentration camp when they, uh, you know, when they liberate that camp, and and you get to hear the stories, of, especially about the one child who was raised there. Yeah, one, and that's all the life he knew. Uh, but of course, you also allow us to see, uh, as I say, it wasn't always fun between. Uh, the 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 members uh, even on the Canadian uh, infantry side, uh, and you, they talk about going home, and of course that's when you learn. And it's nice to see that you brought that in there about you know the indigenous soldiers saying, yeah, well we go back, we're not going to get that the same thing as you guys. And they go, what are you talking about? What I why not? And you learn about the history of the indigenous uh, uh, and how they were treated when they returned to Canada as well. So all very fascinating, all very in depth, very touching moments, uh, very very uncomfortable moments, uh, I might add, as well, when you learn about the day-to-day existence that they were putting up with, not showering for 30 days and, and the, the, the lice and the, and the, and the, 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 the fleas and, and just, you know, their boots that they haven't had a clean pair of socks to wear. And, but, you know, and all those things. And then, there, of course, the, the lovely little bits that you get to learn, like Reggie teaching uh, even about how to... How to uh, to be silent when they go out to do their their uh, uh, reconnaissance at, at night. By he puts on his moccasins and he tells him to put on those heavy socks over his boots so they that they'll they'll be quiet when he's walking. Some some magical stuff. Congratulations uh, on the book. Thank you so much. And I really would like to uh, mention Joel Patterson, who's um, a former soldier and a Saskatoon police officer. He's holds the rank of a warrant officer in the Canadian reserves. And he's one of only two first nation CWOs in the country. And um, he, Joel, uh, he critiqued, he's a a scout in, Mm. in in the today's Canadian Mm -hmm. armed forces. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he gave me uh, like he did, he critiqued the manuscript. Like, so he was an indigenous soldier and a scout. So mm. he just, he just critiqued the manuscript for me just because I, I just, it was very important to me that I had that accuracy uh, mm-hmm. from an indigenous eye. And he, he just very, um, you know, kindly gave me all the time I needed for that. So um, that, that was, I was very, very grateful to him mm. for that. 
Well, uh, congratulations once again. Now, we haven't talked about the, the name of the book, The Hawk and the Hare, but I believe I understand this, uh, if I have it right. There's, there's references. There's one reference to a hawk, um, and I'm not sure, and I can't remember if it's Reggie or if it's uh, Ewan that is, is I believe, on, a, on the back of a truck, and uh, he looks up and he sees a hawk overhead, and he wonders what, their, what that hawk's perspective is at that point in time. Is that the hawk reference? Does yeah. that have anything to do yeah, with the title? Yeah, and uh, it was okay. interesting because um, Colonel Tim Young, he's Canada's uh, military attaché in, the, in Europe, um, he, he said as soon as I, he read the title, he said he immediately thought of scouting tactics. <laughs> and, you know, the hawk, so vision, which is mm -hmm. Reggie, and then yep. the hare, which is the, you know, the agility that scouts have to have on the land, right? you know, agility and speed. So it's, uh, it is, you're, you're right, the hawk is Reggie and the hare is my dad. And it's just to, uh, you know, to recognize those scouting tactics. And, and you know, the, the real Reggie apparently did teach my dad a lot about you know, watching for omens, like, you know, just being in union with the land and, and just, you know, the, the look, listen and learn. And um, so I, I just love the title. The Tidewater yeah. Press came up with that title. It is it is a wonderful a wonderful uh, title and you know the other thing is and that's part of this this really wonderful intimacy that you bring into the book uh, and again I'm not sure if it, it, I think it's your dad uh, that at one point is is sitting somewhere and he looks over and he sees some something furry and yeah. he and he goes a little bit he looks over and it's a and it's a, a hare it's a rabbit sitting there frightened and shell shocked yeah. and he was wondering if he could reach over and touch it and but he but he just doesn't it that isn't the end of the story with the hare. He wonders how that hair is doing at a later date in the in the book as well, and 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 that uh, what, because we don't think about those kind of things during this kind of an experience reading a book. You don't you don't think about we're, we're focused on the people, but the animal suffrage. You get that sense as well from the reading this. You you go in and talk about that. So uh, congratulations, thank you so much, and it was a it was, it was a, a pleasure. I really really enjoyed reading this, and I thank you for bringing this this history to us. Well, uh, miigwech, thank you for having me here today. It's just, uh, and I, I appreciate your support and, and, it's, and all the, the work you've done to create this program, to share, to share the story. Uh, well, well, yeah, and, and miigwech uh, for saying that. Uh, and of course, people can uh, pick up the book, uh, I guess, just about anywhere, correct? Yes, yes. All your local bookstores, you can get it online, Amazon. I know I saw it all over the place. So it's called The Hawk and the Hare. Janet Love Morrison is the author, and uh, she is an award-winning author as well. She's also uh, written Canada's Legendary Ski Team, The Crazy Canucks, uh, and uh, Goodwill Ambassador for Friends and Mankind. So, uh, uh, Janet, thank you once again for taking the time to join us, and, and all the best in the future. Great. Well, thank you so much, David. Miigwech. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Janet Love Morrison. Pleasure having her on the show and uh, really enjoyed bringing this uh, to you. I recommend it highly. Yeah, pick up the book, uh, give it a read, The Hawk and the Hare. Please do not go away because we're going to be right back after a short break with Juanique Horn Miller and, uh, and something that they've got going on, Blockers and Attackers, all about Indigenous athletes. Stay tuned. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. 
Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in those coordinates as well as ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it is a pleasure to have on the line with us Winique Horn-Miller. Now, I'll tell you... uh, uh, a little bit about Wanique and also why she's joining us, which is a great pleasure to have her here with us. She's here to talk about uh, something that's going to be happening in uh, a little bit of time. It's coming up on on the, uh, the September 19th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday. And it's part of the Niagara chapter of Native Women's Incorporation uh, inaugural event called Blockers and Tackers, and Attackers, and it's uh, Indigenous Women in Sports Leadership. And uh, it's this uh, get your game face on, kind of join us for the fun and sports uh, themed event that they're dedicating to creating a sustainable fundraising initiative for their registered charity. And uh, they will use the funds to allow them to continue to provide critical programs and services for their clients. So as we mentioned, it's a lunchtime webinar. And uh, taking place September 19th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, people can find out more by going to uh, ncnw.net and then blockers and attackers. And um, I guess it's it's very appropriately named. <laughs> I think it's great, first of all, because it's blockers and attackers, uh, something that Wanique Corn Miller is very familiar with. Uh, you may remember Wanique was uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, first Mohawk woman from Canada to compete in the Olympic Games and as a member of the Canadian women's water polo team, won gold medal uh, for the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg. And um, it's a pleasure to have her. Wanique is a, a member of, of uh, she's a Mohawk, and she's from Gahnawage. And so it's a pleasure to have her with us. Welcome, Monique. Thank you very much. And I'm also from Oshwegan. That's where my dad's from. Everybody always wonders where the Miller's from. So I'm very <laughs> proud to be from there. Very much so. I think I get a little bit of my height from that side of the family. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's great to hear. I, I didn't know you had that tie-in. Or maybe I did and I forgot. So That's all right. That's okay. I mean, um, I'm really happy to be here. And you know what? I mean, obviously, sport is really close to my heart. Uh, mm. It is something that I'm passionate about not just because I believe in the health and fitness and wellness, but I've Mm. always said this, you know, since I was a young woman, sports saved my life. And Mm. I know it has that capacity to give uh, young Indigenous women, older Indigenous women, anybody, the um, just the health and wellness and also the mental wellness to go Mm. after dreams and and, and to really go after, uh, you know, that whatever they you know, whatever they dream to do, it may not be a sports goal, but it might, but sports just gives you all of that goodness, you know, that, that natural goodness that gets you motivated and up and going. You know, uh, I hear you. And I think this is a great event because the whole idea here is of course, to, uh, to trigger, I guess, uh, women, indigenous women, uh, about sports. Um, we know sports is great for everybody, but I think it's great that this is focusing particularly on, on women. Uh, even though they're calling this, uh, you know, an armchair event, enjoy it from the comfort of your own home. We have to do that anyway these days uh, because of COVID-19. Uh, but when you, you know, you said that, that sports saved your life. Um, you, of course, have been associated with, uh, with Ganawage and, and Oka to some degree. Um, I learned a little bit, or maybe I'd forgot this too, about your upbringing and, and your involvement with Oka. Now, I know 
that may not be directly related to this, but I'm wondering how that shaped you and 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 sort of helped you in terms of moving forward in, and getting into sports. Well, you know what? It, it's it really does tie into what um, we're trying to fundraise for this weekend because mm. one of the things that my mother knew, my mother was or is, but she was a native rights activist back in the '60s, Gahandi mm. the Horn, and. She knew mm-hmm. she had three, well, she had four daughters and she knew uh, the kind of world that we were going to be venturing into, mm-hmm. um, you know, where there was going to be in racism, systemic racism, mm-hmm. uh, all these types of things that uh, her daughters were going to face. And so she wanted to give us some skills, a place where we can learn skills, where we could learn to push ourselves, we can learn perseverance, we could learn respect, we could learn to work with other people, we could get our leadership skills going. And so she chose sports. That's She was a single mom and and she didn't have a lot of money, but she put us into, you know, she saved all her money and, and put us into sports at the YMCA in Ottawa. And she chose running and swimming because they weren't judged sports or sports with like, you have to make a team. It was basically mm. us against the clock. And she wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that we had as few barriers between mm. us and achievement as possible. And I can tell you when, um, you know, by the time Oka happened in 1990, I had been a competitive swimmer and competitive runner for six years. Mm. And I had already, um, it had been entrenched as a place in my life that was about um, dealing with stress, dealing Mm. with anxiety. It was a place where, you know, the color of my skin, my crazy name, because we were also um, kind of that first generation of, part of that first generation of of young Indigenous people being named Indigenous names, right? So Mm. I had this weird name and, (laughs) and I got, you know, picked on. But let me tell you, when it came to choosing a team, I was always chosen first. And mm. so it was a place I really garnered a lot of um, a, a lot of confidence. And, you know, going through the Oka crisis and the stress of it and and the PTSD that I suffered subsequently from being stabbed and, and seeing all the stuff I saw, the one place I knew I could go back to was sports. And I threw myself into sports and I pretty much self-medicated through sports. And, mm. you know, 10 years from the day that, that happened to me at Oka, 10 years later, I was at the Olympics. And, you know, one thing that Oka did was it put the uh, emphasis on why and what I was going after and why it was important. And it wasn't just about me as, you know, my own goals, but it was about showcasing the world about mm-hmm. what Indigenous people could could accomplish what we were capable of, especially Indigenous women. And that's why I'm so passionate about what's going on this weekend, because I know there's so many more young women out there that have this fire and drive and, you know, inside them. And and we need to give them that opportunity, just like my mom gave it to me. Mm. Nicely said. Uh, And congratulations to your mom for for thinking, uh, you know, that thinking about that and giving you guys that edge and, and putting you into those things that could that could help um, it, it, you know that that speaks to a whole lot of other things about uh, resiliency uh, you know and creative thinking that uh, you know it's not always money that will answer the questions for you it's that creative thinking and resiliency that that we have to have and people have to have in order to to move forward now you you, you brought up the fact that to uh, you, you you were stabbed at Oka, and and I if I'm not if I remember this correctly that was that that stab it, it was it, it missed some vital organs just a, by a little bit didn't it Yeah, it basically um, it hit right off my sternum like where my ribs meet mm. and kind of went sideways just right mm. like dead center and went sliding to the left so you know mm. had it been uh, a couple centimeters either way it would have gone into my heart 
Mm. And, um, you know, that always, that scar is still there and it reminds me of the value of, of my life, you know, mm. and uh, I've struggled with PTSD, just like so many people out there. Uh, I didn't know that's what it was growing up. I didn't know that it was called PTSD. And we only really mm. as a society come to understand what PTSD is, maybe in the last 15, 20 years, you know. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think about that and I think about my sisters as well. I have two older sisters and a younger sister and my, my two older sisters are both doctors. One's a medical doctor and works in um, Aguasasne and my other sister is a, a professor of Indigenous Studies at Carleton and then our little sister is, a, is an award-winning actor. She was just on Canada Reads. I don't know if you were following <laughs> that but she almost won. I was so proud of her. She really, you know, fought really hard but um, you know and I think about all of us and I think about um, that investment. You know, you don't the investment in the early years that we put in mm. our children and, and, and mm. giving them those tools, like you cannot wrap your kids in bubble wrap. And I think that's what my mom was understood. You can't wrap your kids in bubble wrap and avoid all traumas. They're going, right. whether or not as hard as you try, they might face something, but you can, you can teach them how to be resilient. You can teach them that resiliency is not something that, you know, it's something that our ancestors handed down to us, but it's a muscle you have to continuously work out. You have to continuously mm. work it out, whether it's through physical activity, whether it's through spirituality and ceremony, uh, you know, through the arts. These are all places that build that resiliency and that confidence and that fire. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, being passionate about that and and knowing, knowing it, it is a path to success and an investment in the future. I know it, it, it does do it. And so, you know, what, what the Native Women's Association on Niagara, what they're doing is, is amazing. And I'm just like, I'm really, I'm so excited because I, I like, I can see the faces of the thousands and thousands of kids I've spoken to all over North America over the last 20 years, thousands of them. And they always are there in my mind when I think of what we need to do and what we need to accomplish because you know what Canada is never really going to achieve its greatest potential as a country especially on the Olympic team until our young people have the same opportunities. Mm. So Monique, I'm wondering if, if one of the things you're, you're going to maybe talk about you talked about resiliency we talked about this event uh, blockers and attackers uh, with the Niagara chapter of Native women and the, you're, you're the, 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 the keynote speaker basically for this event but um, there is one other uh, person that is going to also be a guest speaker uh, Jessica, Jessica Gazin and uh, she's a roller derby team member and uh, you know we'll, we'll talk about her in a minute but I want to get back Back to your your that resiliency and th those things that you learned at a young age. Uh, you talked about uh, racism, uh, and I understand that that racism, even at the Olympic level, you you experienced it and saw that. You know, it's interesting because it's it is it's it's the sense of indifference, and and this is a big part of uh, why I'm doing my master's degree at University of British Columbia. Uh, in Indigenous studies and kinesiology, I'm looking at Indigenous motivation and and what impacts our motivation. And hmm. you know, I think like at the at, at the elite level where I was as as a co-captain of Olympic team, I still faced that. I still faced hmm. that. Like in it, it's an indifference. It's like it's like no, no. It's like when someone says, "I don't see color." Hmm. See color. Well, you're not seeing me, and you're hmm. not seeing everything that I I the people I come from and where I come from and the context I come from. You're not seeing any of that. You're just seeing me like a piece of meat, you know, do mm -hmm. your job and shut up. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the most important things that we have to understand when you're trying to tap into someone's motivation, their fire is, is what makes that fire burn bright? 
where do they come from? You know, who are they? And uh, I think that, you know, our, our forms of motivation, I've always said this, if you want to like have the toughest, you know, person who's going to get in the corners and fight for the ball or fight for the puck and never give up and, you know, always, you know, be there to stand up and back up their teammates. Those are indigenous people. Cause that's how we're raised, you know, back home, you know, you back up your cousins and your family mm-hmm. and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but also comes within our, our genetic line of, of our people. You know, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be here if we, if we had, we came from a people who gave up. You know, we don't come from that. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in trying to get that understanding through my studies uh, out into the mainstream. And so that people can better understand that coaches and and officials and institutions can understand our people and and how we think, how we feel, even ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really these studies have really made me kind of look inside myself and and understand that and how to deal with it. Because racism is going to be there until we have to confront it, we have to tackle it, and we have to name it, right? So Mm -hmm. it, it it is a big task, but it's totally worth it to do it. Right. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest uh, here with us is Juanique Horn-Miller and she is the uh, basically the featured speaker coming up for a, a weekend event through the Native chapter of uh, Native Women's uh, Incorporation and it's called Blockers and Attackers. You can find out more of this uh, online at uh, ncnw.net and then Blockers and Attackers. Um, she's going to be uh, speaking, I guess, about some of the things we've been talking about here and, and uh, trying to inspire uh, young women, I guess specifically, uh, about the value of sport, the value of, of, of all the things that it can, can benefit from you, not only physically, uh, mentally, and, and all the other things that go with it. But, you know, we, we, we as people are not limited to just uh, those physicalities of things that we have to challenge. You're always going to be, whether it's a, a team sport or an individual sport, whatever it is you might be getting involved with, uh, if you're Indigenous, there may be other things that you may have to face as well. And, Wanique, I, I imagine you're going to be addressing those kind of things. Is this going to be, um, uh, um, is there going to be open for questions on, when you're taking part in this event on the weekend? Yeah, yeah, there's there's going to be time for question, and, and it's, it's super amazing because you have all these incredible women that are going to be on there in such different, mm. you know, areas working in different areas of sport, different cool sports like roller derby. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of women from Gunawaga that do roller derby, my cousins and stuff. So it's really cool, but I think it's a great time. It's going to be a great time for people to kind of ask questions, um, you know, and, you know, as, as I'm a mom now and I'm, I've got three kids and I'm, mm. I'm still playing water polo. I still play competitively, but not like I did before on the national sure. But we're also moving into more, you know, um, into organizations now. And I just, you know, I just became a board member for participation. Um, You know, we talk about systemic racism and that's been a big topic of discussion Mm. uh, the last few months. And how do we tackle systemic racism? Well, let me tell you, uh, you know, it's not always sexy and it's not always Instagram worthy pictures it's getting on boards it's sitting at the table and it's making people listen and listening to people as well and how can we change the systems in which we face the systemic racism and I always told myself when I was an athlete when I got to that level I was going to I was going to put in the work you know and make sure that at least the people that were coming after me the other athletes wouldn't face it as hard as I did Mm. Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, right. Nice for sure. And and as you say, you're now a mum yourself, so you have to uh, you got to think about your your young ones coming up, and you'll be mo- most likely sharing and giving some of that resiliency that your mum uh, gave to you uh, to them as well. Now, speaking of resiliency, I can't think of a, of a sport that that requires uh, a, a lot of. Uh, uh, well, it's just a rough and tumble sport, I guess. And that's the roller derby. You mentioned you got th- you've got uh, did you say sisters or cousins or something that play roller derby? Oh yeah, there's a, there's quite a few women in Ganawaga, and she probably knows some of them because I think mm. all Indigenous team. I'm not sure, but I remember. Mm. And uh, you know, it's 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 a really cool like it's rough, man. Those girls, mm-hmm. uh, those women are amazing. Sorry, they're women because you know they they're <laughs> like and it, it's my kind of sport, right? Contact sport, tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So really, really is going to be a good, you know, a good, a good, a good opportunity to see just different walks of life, you know, and, um, you know, just really something that I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, uh, we had a lot of people, you know, uh, tuning in and also inspiring people to, uh, to look at that long sustainable funding, which with the fundraising and the charity, it is a charity event. So Mm -hmm. um, that's what they're trying to do. So Hopefully everybody tunes in. I have to run and go get my kids from soon. <laughs> okay, no worries. We'll we'll finish up. Okay. Uh, listen, what um what do you what do you hope ultimately that will come away from this weekend? You know, not only from from the idea of what you want to share, but as you just mentioned, it's a fundraising event for this Native Women's Association and uh and 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 all the work that they do in all aspects of of helping Indigenous women. You know what? I think it, in so many ways we. I hope people walk away with hope and optimism and something to look forward to, something to work towards. We need that so much right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know personally, uh, I'm I'm starved for, you know, that that human contact that, you know, getting together with people and, and working towards something is something so invigorating. And I that's what I'm hoping people walk away from this event with, you know, with a spark, right? Because mm. um, we do have to still keep working towards things and, mm. and creating opportunities for our young ones. You know, I have three small kids and, you know, we were just talking before we did the interview about how, like how there's so much anxiety and, and worry mm. right now among our young ones and, you know, working towards providing opportunities through sport for them is uh is somehow we can help that we can we can create that you know hope and mm, optimism mm. for our young ones. Right. Sounds good. Wanik uh, go for taking part in and and being online with us uh, to share about uh, the anticipation of the weekend and what that can bring and and let's hope a lot of people tune in to uh, to support the uh, Niagara chapter of Native Women's uh, Incorporation and also uh, get the great stories that you and the other participants uh, guest speakers are going to share uh, for for young women out there. So uh, again, Nyawagoa. Thank you, Nyawa, and I'll talk to everybody soon. Hopefully, you tune in. Looking forward. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks uh-huh. again. Okay, Ona. That's Winnie Corn Miller, and uh, it was a pleasure to have her on. She's there. She's the uh, the featured speaker coming up for an event this weekend uh, called uh, Blockers and Attackers. You can find out more by going to ncnw.net blockers attackers. Uh, really nice speaking with her. And uh, please do go and support this event. It sounds like it's going to be worthwhile. And thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You can hear us each and every day right here on 106.5 and 95.7 ELMNT-FM. See you next time. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.